the, um, our worship, uh, why we started our worship in the way that we did. And it was because the Lord had put on my heart um, to go and revisit the story of Balaam. And one of the, and I, I shared with you all who were here to hear that, um, that twice God sent something into my inbox that had to do with Balaam. And I always pay attention when God does something twice. I pay attention when he does something once too because, you know, it, it's, it's good to um, explore all the avenues that God is bringing into your life. And so um, I love this story of Balaam. And part of the reason why I love that story is because he was sent to curse the Israelites. He was actually paid to curse them. And he could not resist the power of the living God and instead blessed Israel. So um, I, I want to give you a little background. Um, I'm kind of thinking that this will probably be a two-part teaching part one today and part two next week because if I'm not mistaken the third Saturday in August the 19th is the first Shabbat of the month of Elul and and there's a theme that God has put on my heart for the month of Elul so I want to wrap this up in two weeks so um, that's kind of like me wanting to wrap up the book of Jonah and it took us two years to do the book of Jonah yeah so so we'll, um, I was so sad when we did the last chapter, I was so sad because it had become so dear to my heart. And, and I remember when the Lord spoke to me about that, we had finished, we had done the um, Torah portion for several years, several years in a row. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, you know, as at the end of all of the books of the Torah, we would say, um, be strong, be strong, and be of good courage. And I remember the last week that we did that, I was thinking, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that we're ending the Torah and going back to the beginning again. And that's when the Lord released us to do the book of Joshua. And I will never forget that. Um, it, it just was, it was, a, it was a great book. And um, anyway, so I wanted to give you some background of, I don't want to just start in with Balaam. I want to give you some background why this king, Balak, was so nervous about the Israelites coming into his territory. And, and that's really what happened. I was reading Numbers and I was saying, oh Lord, it's been so long since we did the book of Numbers and there's so much good stuff in there. And as I got quiet before the Lord, he said, well, there is nothing keeping you from doing the Torah portion beginning after the High Holy Days, which is when the, um, the, it starts again, the... Uh, the cycle, the cycle from Genesis to, um, to Deuteronomy. I have to tell you a funny story. Rabbi Peter decided in January that he was going to do the first five books of Moses in a year and finish up in December. He's still in Leviticus. So he keeps saying, you know, before he begins his message, he always says, well, we're not going to finish it this year. So, 
I had to go back. I, I read the prayers of Balaam first, and then I went back because we need it in context. So this, um, the book of Numbers is actually numbers in English. And it is taken from the Greek word, which I don't remember. It's, um, the, it's the word for, I think it's called, what do you consign people into the military? Is that what the word is? Conscripting, that's it. It's called the conscriptions in Greek. And so, but the Hebrew is Bamidbar, which is in the wilderness. And to me, that's a better description of the book because conscriptions is only the first chapter. It talks about the number of people that were counted above the age of 20 who were of age to serve in the military. And that number, because you need to, you know, asterisk this in your brain, the number of people above 20 years of age eligible for military service, and that would be the men, right? That would be the men. In present-day Israel, it's the men and women who serve in the IDF, but back in those days, it was just the men. So they counted how many would be eligible for military service, and that was 603,550. But that's just the men. That's not the entire household of Israel that is making its trek across the wilderness on its way to the promised land. And let me also remind you that by the time we get around to Numbers 22, we've already passed by Numbers 13, which is when Israel did not believe the two spies who gave a good report of the land. Instead, they believed the ten spies that believed the poor report of, the, of what they saw in the land. So let me remind you, just because the majority say that something is right or something looks good, that's not a good reason to follow the majority. So... That was a lesson to Israel, let it be a lesson to us. And that reminds me, I will get to the message, but that reminds me, that's the whole point of the scripture, is to make sure we learn the lessons for our own lives that God is teaching, that God has taught to Israel, who also did not learn the lessons. But let that be a lesson to us because we are without excuse. We have the written word of God that we can go back to as many times as we need to to learn those lessons all over again. And so here we are in Numbers, and we're going to turn over, if you've got your scriptures, turn over. And we're, I'm going to jump around a little bit until I get to, to Balaam. Hopefully, I'll get to him today. But if I don't get to him today, I'll get to him next week. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, let me see here. I'm going to read, I guess I'm going to read from the New King James. Okay. I'm going to read starting in verse 1 of chapter 21. The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, 
If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. And so there, Israel, on their trek through the wilderness, they travel through areas ruled by different kings. Um, and remember, their route is designated by God. So they only come across kings and their territories by appointment. And the appointment is always because God wants to teach them something. The appointments that God brings into our lives is because he wants to teach us something. So we need to have, like I read at the beginning of scripture, our eyes opened to one whose eyes are opened. To one whose eyes are opened, our ears are opened to the Lord's voice so that we don't miss what he's trying to teach us. If we miss it, what happens? We go around the mountain again. And then if we miss it the second time, we go around the mountain again. But that's the grace and mercy of God. He doesn't cut us off. He lets us go around the mountain again. So, um, God makes the, God hears their voice and he delivers up the Canaanites. Israel destroys them and their cities. So then we move on to, well, a lot happens in between uh, 21, 1 through 3, and 21, verses 21 to 25, but I'm not going to go there. That, that's a, a long lesson for another day. So in 21, um, we read this. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. Now, I want to stop there for a second. They are saying to the king of the Amorites, we just want to pass through. We're not going to eat anything in your vineyards or anything in your fields, and we're not going to drink water from your wells. You know, so be at peace. We just need passage through here. Is this when he says, yeah, he's, they're going to take the king's highway, which was a, a byway through the land, but they promised they wouldn't eat anything. They wouldn't take from what belonged to the um, Amorites. Why could they say that? Why could they say, we're not going to eat from your fields or your vineyards? Why could they say that? They were provided for. They were provided for. Manna and quail and water from the rock. They were provided for. They had every confidence that God would provide for their needs as they walked through the wilderness. God was giving them divine appointments along their journey. How do we know that he was giving them divine appointments and he wasn't just letting them go whichever route they wanted to take? 
because he promised that he would go before them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they had all of these promises from the Lord so that they had food and water and they had their path laid out from them. All they had to do was follow the cloud or follow the fire. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not so much. So verse 23, but Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, went out against Israel in the wilderness, and they came to Yahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Yabak as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. And so Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. If the people had just listened, they could have avoided a war, and they could have avoided their cities being taken. But how they responded was something that I've learned over the years. How they responded is just the way of humanity. This is ours. We don't want you here. We don't want your promises. We don't want to give you the right of way because that's just who we are. We're selfish people. We're greedy people. We think about our needs and ourselves before we think about anyone else. It's simply the human condition. However, for we who are in Messiah Yeshua, there is an escape from the human tradition, the human condition, and that is the blood of Messiah and the power of his spirit. That's our escape. That's how we don't have to act like everyone else. And we don't do it in a way, in a prideful way. We do it in a humble way, with a humble heart and a humble spirit, because that is pleasing to God. We have a way of escape, but it's our choice to escape the human condition by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, the power of the Ruach in us, or stay where we are and go around the mountain one more time. How many of you have been around the mountain one more time? How many have been around the mountain two more times? I rest my case. We're all in the same boat. And so if we're all in the same boat, we're to bear one another's burdens, as the word says. And we are to encourage each other that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. By the grace of God, the power of his Ruach and the blood of Messiah. This too shall pass. So let's move on to the next encounter. 
which is also in verse 21. And it's the very end of chapter, excuse me, also in chapter 21. It's the end of chapter 21, verses 33 through 35. And they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left and they took possession of his land. <laughs> so, we're going to continue with Numbers 22. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. I, I, I hesitated because I wasn't sure whether I was going to move on, but we are. We're going to move on just a little bit. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Does anybody have any recollection of where that is? Because we've been there before. It's south of Jerusalem. Any, anything else? It's across from Jericho. Does that, does that ring a bell? It's, it's in the Negev. The Jordan River. Jericho is on one side. You can see Mount Nebo from there. But it's right where they would eventually pass over into the promised land. They were that close, but the Lord says, close, but not yet. And you might think, well, why did God do that? Bring them so close and then not let them cross the Jordan. I trust and believe that God was giving them hope for the time, the appointed time, when they would cross over. There is a time when the manna would cease and the quail would cease and the water from the rock would cease because God promised them that when they crossed over into the promised land, he said this to them. When the Lord your God brings... Well, this is actually Moses speaking the words that God had given him. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. I'm reading from Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow the gods of the land that you are going in to possess. The reason why I shared that with you is because where they were, they could see the provision of the Lord once they got into the promised land. Granted, Moses says this to the children of Israel right before they cross over, and I didn't look up how many months or years that was going to be. I don't know how long they've been wandering when we come to verse 22. I don't know how long they have to go before they enter the promised land, but the point being, halfway, well, little more than halfway through the book of Numbers, God gives them a glimpse into the land that they will take possession of. To give them a hope, to give them a taste of the promise, and it was his way, I believe, of saying, I've not forgotten my promise. You're not going to wander forever in the wilderness. You will come to the land of promise, as I promised you. So with that, we're going to read just a little bit of chapter 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab, which is where Balak lived, he was the king there. Now, now, and now Balak, okay, and Moab was exceedingly afraid. In other words, the whole territory, the whole kingdom was afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, also Balak, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. So his fear was the same as the fear of the other kings. They're going to eat everything out of our fields and our vineyards. They had no clue who the Israelites worshipped. They worshipped the God that provided all of their needs. And, you know, when you think about it in the flesh, when you think about this what did he call them? Because the people were many, and they would lick up everything around them. Well, remember, all we know is that there were 603,000 men of war, men that were able to fight. And as I said, we have no clue how many women and children there were. I would venture to say probably more than twice that number. So could you imagine if you were king, you had a finite number of resources for the people that you were responsible for, and you didn't know this God that the people served, you respond in the flesh. Now we do know that word of the Israelites went before them because when the Israelites spied out Jericho, what did Rahab say? We have heard of what your God has done for you. So we know that what God did for the Israelites 
preceded them. It went ahead of them. So that the people would have had an idea of what this God was all about. And you would think that they would not want to fight these people because they have a mighty God. Rahab didn't want to be part of the resistance. She welcomed the spies because she did not want to be destroyed along with the rest of Jericho. So let me get back to this Balak. So he had a strategy unlike any other. He sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them, drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. He was speaking of Balaam. He was not speaking of the God of Israel. So we're not going to go any further than that, because what I want to concentrate on is Israel's journey and their interactions with all of the kings in these different places along the way. We know that no place where they landed was by accident. Every place was by appointment. And when I think about Israel and I think about my own human condition, I think of Israel's story being my story. Remember I said everybody has a story, but I think of their story as being my story, our corporate story. Because there's not a lesson, I know I've said this in a different way a few minutes ago, but there's not a lesson that Israel did not learn that we cannot learn today. You understand what I'm saying? The same lessons that God spoke to Israel, he speaks to us today through his word. In fact, I think it's somewhere in Corinthians where God says, that I've given you this as a warning. I've given you your history as a warning to you. And so it's a warning to all of us that here, you know, we are on a wilderness journey. You would agree we're on a wilderness journey, correct? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We are just sojourners on this earth. So we, like Israel, are wandering through the wilderness. We are just passing through as they were. Our promised land is heaven, is paradise. That's our promised land. And so as we walk through, we look at the history of Israel, and we see that God provided for them every step of the way. Do we think God will do any less for us? As he did for Israel, so he will do for us. He will provide for our every 
need. Maybe it's not quite the quail that lands in the camp. Maybe it's not quite the manna that falls from heaven. Maybe it's not quite the water that comes out of the rock. But God has supplied all of our needs. Physically and spiritually. And I think of people who have been persecuted, beaten, thrown in jail, starved for the sake of the gospel. And it's not I who says this, but they who say it. God has provided for my every need. So when we're going through hard times, can we say with the present-day martyrs, God has provided my every need? It's a question only we can answer in our hearts, in our spirit. But it's the same promise that God gave to the Israelites. And they didn't have, they didn't have this to look at. They didn't have this to go back to. But what they did have was the presence of God in the cloud, the presence of God in the fire, the presence of God in the quail, the presence of God in the manna, the presence of God in the water from the rock. We also know that their shoes never wore out. Their clothing never wore out. And I read something very interesting just this morning because I couldn't remember how soon into the promised land did the manna and the quail stop. Because remember, when they went into the promised land, they were walking into vineyards they didn't plant, fields they didn't plant, houses they didn't build. And so curiosity got the best of me, and I looked it up. I hope I printed it out, too. <laughs> if I didn't, you'll have to wait till next week. Oh, I, 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 before I tell you, if, if, it's, if I can find it in here. God provided for 40 years, correct? So this miracle lasted 14,600 days. 2,080 weeks these miracles lasted. Okay, I'm not finding. I think it was like maybe five days in. And I think maybe it's Joshua 5 where you can find it. So you can look it up later. That's not the point. I wanted to, I wanted to know if they continued to depend on what God promised them. And here, here is such